Thanks for joining us for AutoLine this week. We're going to be talking all about the cars that are up for North American Car of the Year this year. And joining me are two of my colleagues on the jury, Paul Eisenstein with the Detroit Bureau and Edward Lapham from Automotive News. And great having you guys here. And let the arguments begin. (laughs) Because we always have great arguments over trying to determine what is the car of the year. And we should start out by saying us on the jury what we test drive 54 cars what was the total list of cars and trucks eligible cars and trucks was 50 plus yeah 50 plus which means that uh as it has been for several years now literally there's a new vehicle coming out every Every single week week. more than one every. and actually there were a few vehicles for various reasons that didn't even qualify right so we actually drove more and i think we pulled four or five off before we finally started voting. And there's about 50 of us journalists from throughout the United States and Canada. We're enthusiasts, we're uh, business press, we're trade press, you name it. TV, radio, web, everything. Men and women. So it's it's a very good cross-section of people who test drive cars. And we whittled the list down, and uh, we know who the three finalists are, and that includes the Ford Focus, the Hyundai Elantra, and the Volkswagen Passat. And we'll be talking about those and some of the other cars that were on the list. Uh, And we'll know at the Detroit Auto Show which one of those three cars is the winner. Even though we've all voted for it, we don't know who won that yet. But, Paul, let's start out. Ford Focus, what do you make of that car? And why should it be a finalist in the North American car I can argue both ways. Uh, I think almost everyone in the jury that I've spoken to certainly loves the car though they do have some problems with it, primarily with the, uh, the double-clutch transmission. I think if, if it were not for the DCT's problems... Which is a new type of automatic type, transmission, it, for those it, who don't it's, know It's an electronically shifted manual, in, in effect. And uh, a lot of people see that as a future of automatics. They're more efficient than the traditional automatic. And if you, uh, uh, if you look at the vehicle overall, I think everybody was... Pleased with the styling, pleased with the, uh, the, the, the amenities. It's certainly not your classic Ford Econobox. Uh, the one complaint they had was that that thing is a, a little bit off. It doesn't quite deliver the way uh, you wanted the transmission to perform. How do you see the Focus, Ed? Well, I, I agree, and I, I think the success of the Focus, uh, the package that, that, that came to North America, uh, being essentially the European package, proves that, that that's the way one Ford is supposed to work, and that's worked for him very well. But I agree also the problems with the, the automatic are the thing that sort of tarnishes it. And, and their engineers will recalibrate, and they'll find a way to make it better. But, you know, at this point, I think it's, it's still an issue for, for many of uh, our fellow jurors. Well, let me ask you this, guys. This. Ford's not the only one with dual-clutch transmissions. No. Why is the focus being single? Uh, first of all, it's, it's interesting, before we get to that, uh, if you look at the recent Consumer Reports numbers, they talked about vehicle quality and reliability and such. They got hammered. But for several things. Uh, one was, of course, their electronic technology, which has gotten a little bit ahead of them. Uh, and, and another is uh, an issue of uh, technology like their uh, transmission. So they have taken some hits for that. And I think this is something that they're definitely going to have to address. Ford claims they've addressed the electronic problems. We'll find that out uh, with the 12 model year, some of the changes. And they claim that they're recalibrating 
the transmission to try to improve it. But this is an example for the entire industry. This is something that Ford alone should not pay attention to. Because the reality is everybody wants these magic numbers, particularly on a car the size of the Focus. You're looking at people saying, we have to hit 40 miles a gallon. What do they do? In many cases, they detune engines. They they uh, actually hurt performance. They uh, they really don't deliver what people may want in some other areas in order to deliver a magic number that they can advertise. And that, from what I understand, is exactly what happened with the Focus. They wanted the number, and they wound up tweaking that transmission to give them maximum fuel economy at the cost of drivability. You agree? I do indeed. I, you know, the risk for, for being cutting edge with technology, whether it's, uh, whether it's your center stack and electronics and all the infotainment stuff, or whether it's the way you control your drivetrain, you know, there's a price to be paid if you don't nail it exactly right. And you will get feedback, you will get pushback from consumers who will tell you uh, how you need to change it. And I think, that's, I think that's the position that Ford is in now. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, it's interesting that despite that problem, it made the finalist list out of all these other cars that we all evaluated. Which says, John, just how good a car it is mm -hmm. other than those small problems. Yeah, uh, I would agree because to me, the bones of the car, the structure of the car are awesome. It's, mm -hmm. it, uh, just the way it plants itself on the road, the ride, the handling, is uh, it's world-class. It's absolutely a world-class car in that regard. One of the things I found interesting was well, the first time I got to drive it was in California, and I took it to some of my friends out in California who wouldn't be seen in an American car, and they were raving about it, and uh, I think one of them actually went and bought one. Hopefully they got a manual. Manual transmission. Yes. That's because they knew it was a European Ford. Yeah, right, that's exactly right. right. <laughs> no, it's true. There is truth uh, to that. As you were talking about. And another car uh, that made it to the, the finalist, the Hyundai Elantra. What do you think of that one? Oddly enough, that was not, of the three Hyundai models that were in there, that was not the one that I would have said would make the finalist. The accent surprised me. You know, you get in, you drive a vehicle, you have certain expectations. And that was the one where I, I thought Hyundai really had made a, a big jump. I'm not saying the Elantra is a bad automobile, but I'm saying that, you know, look at the success that Hyundai has had recently. You know, last year the Sonoma was one of the finalists in, in, in three different versions, either plain vanilla, either um, uh, turbo or, or the hybrid. You know, I, they've done a terrific job putting their vehicles in there again. In fact, I got a call from one of the people at Hyundai that was worried about the very issue that you raised, that they had three cars yeah. uh, up for the vote of car of the year, the Elantra, the Accent, and the Veloster. And they were afraid, oh, the jury's going to split its votes and we're not going to get one in the finalist area. And nonetheless, the, uh, the Elantra made it. Well, I think, I think there are a couple reasons why Elantra uh, wound up landing there. Number one, it probably has the most striking styling, particularly for its segment. Veloster's interesting, but it's a niche car, and it does have some issues. The powertrain, good though it may be, is still a little bit underperforming. The Accent is still a very small car. Nice looking, but it doesn't have the sort of breakthrough quality that the Elantra does. Like the Sonata before it, which was like, holy mackerel, that's a Hyundai sort of response. When you look at this one, you get the same thing. It looks like an extraordinarily more expensive car. It drives much better. Uh, the powertrain's good. And it also delivers phenomenal fuel economy. Again, if you go by the EPA numbers, we all have our experiences which say 
these cars often do much worse in real-world driving, the way we drive it. The way we drive it, you know, which tends to be, uh, you know, heavy-footed because you want to really see what the car can do in a, in a lot of things. But uh, the other thing that I would add is the Elantra has been on sale since, I don't know, since early this year, mm -hmm. uh, or I should say early 2011. Yeah. And it is off to the races. I mean, that thing is selling like gangbusters. And, and that weighs a lot in my decision as to where I'm going to allocate points because it shows the market loves this vehicle. Yeah. And that's why I did give more points to uh, the, uh, the Elantra over the Veloster and the Accent just because Agreed. when you look at it, you know, did the dogs like the dog food? Yes, they did. Okay. Boy, do they like the dog Clearly. food. Clearly they do. Okay, we got another one that made... Uh, the finalist list as well, the Volkswagen Passat. What do you guys make of that car? I, the, the thing I think that appeals on the Passat, the, the vehicle itself uh, is an upgrade. You know, there's been some comments about building it in America, taking maybe some of the content and the Germanic feel out of the interior. And I, and I did notice that, I did have that feeling. But the diesel engine in the Passat is, is still a star. It really is in terms of fuel economy and, and performance and all the things that you like, uh, a, particularly a German diesel automobile to do, the Passat does it. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because when we judge these things, we try, at least I try to look at the entirety of a lineup. And no question, I think everyone I've spoken to is in love with the diesel. A lot of journalists, I think we would agree on the panel, um, um, the jury tend to like diesels and would like to see it come back. And we've all been impressed. I mean, it, it's getting better mileage in the EPA. Try that with a hybrid. Yeah. You never get that. Try that with a gas model. You mm -hmm. typically don't. 40, 45, even 48 and 50 miles a gallon, I've been hearing from some of our colleagues. Impressive. On the downside with the Passat, and one of the things I don't like is the base engine is a classic stone pony. It does not get out of its own way. Uh, to your point, Ed, I agree. I think that it's not quite the classic German, German VW. Uh, it's more of a VW, more traditionally VW, say, than what they did with the Jetta last year, where they really cut corners to make the price, and I felt like they really missed the market. They delivered what people wanted, and, and to your point, John, sometimes people will buy a vehicle because it's a combination of price and so on. Uh, and the Jetta did pretty well, but I really felt that that car lost whatever it is that we call the VW-ness of the car. Passat, I think, stayed true to the vehicle, to, the, to its roots more, but I do find that the base engine is my disappointment. It's, it's their equivalent of the, uh, the, the focused transmission. Well, what I liked about the, the Passat is, number one, they knocked $7,000 yeah. off the base price. Right. Wow. Now, what's very interesting is even though they took all this content out and knocked the price down 7000 bucks, the actual transaction price is very similar to where it was in the past. Right. Because people, when they do their comparisons online, you know, base price is extremely important. And if you're seven grand above everyone else, bing, you're off the list. They don't even consider you. Right. So that's why Volkswagen knew it had to get that base price down. But then people get in and they go, oh, yeah, I want air conditioning, I want heated seats, and I want a navigation system, and I want a sunroof, and I want an automatic, and yada-da-da-da, and they price it right back to where it was, mm -hmm. even though it was that cheap base price that attracted them to the car in the first right. place. I find that hilarious. It's a classic loss leader. I mean, how often have we in the past gone to buy a car, and you catch the vehicle that's, wow, they can't have a car that cheap. You get to the dealership, they usually don't. Right. 
The other thing I like about the Passat is massive rear seat room, uh-huh. leg room especially. Yeah. It, it's yeah. ju- and they didn't sacrifice the trunk room to get no. that rear seat room. Brian Armistead, who is a journalist out of, uh, out of Washington, D.C., I think you know him. Brian is six foot ten. He sat behind me. I'm six two. His knees did not touch the back of my seat. Well, they should have shot that as a commercial for the car. (laughs) The other thing I like is the dashboard. Very clean layout. You know, if you look at, say, like the new Toyota Camry, very busy, lots of cut lines, all these different things. I like the the Germanus, the Germanness, I guess, the simplicity of the layout of the the Passat dashboard. The one thing I did not like about it, I, too, test drove a number of cars. And while you didn't like the base engine, I don't know if you got the V6 engine. That thing's a rocket ship. I mean, this that's is the totally closest right. to a 55 Chevy with a small block V8 in it than any other car that's come out in recent memory. But I had a problem with one of the models I drove where the thing just wouldn't start. You know, it's got a push-button yeah. start yeah. to it. And I pushed it and nothing happened, pushed it and nothing. So I found out I had to just keep pushing the button. Eventually it would start. But that was a major headache in mm. test driving that car. And mm. that, I didn't like that. Well, that's sort of a throwback to some of the quality issues that Volkswagen has had. And, the, and that's going to be the question. W- will they escape those quality issues on the Passat going forward? Yeah. That's a huge question. And I know at the plant, they're very careful. They're building these in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Right. The, the, the cars are literally just sort of dribbling out, even though they've sold uh, a number of them already. But again, because of their quality yeah. concerns, they're inspecting everything. I've been in almost as many plants as you, John. I know you've actually seen, I think, everyone on the planet. <laughs> uh, but I have never seen a plant that has spent as much time on inspection the number of people devoted to doing everything from destructive testing, they literally tear it apart with hammer and chisel, uh, down to the subtle things looking to see if wires are connected and the like, is far more than I've ever seen at any other auto plant. Well, if Volkswagen gets its quality turned around, to your point, that's critical. watch out. I yeah. mean, these guys are red hot globally, not just in the U.S. Well, they but want to be number one. They, uh, they might get there this they year. Might. In they terms will, of they will this sales. year, probably. In vehicle sales. Yeah. Actually, they're already there in revenue and profits, yes. and that might be the most important measure of all. Mm-hmm. Hey, I, uh, okay, we went over the three finalists for Car of the Year. The Ford Focus, the Hyundai Elantra, the Volkswagen Passat. Another big important car that we just touched on that did not make the finalist list, Toyota Camry. Why not? Best-selling car in America? It's still an appliance. It's a good appliance, but it's an appliance. You you talked about the interior. I I thought the interior was badly done. Mm -hmm. And if you put a Camry next to a Sonata, the Sonata is still the styling leader in that segment. And even though it's been out a couple of years, Toyota had another 18 months to try and get it right. Well, Well, let's even go further than that. Toyota had an extra 18 months to correct the problems that the dealers told them about. Remember, yeah. tell that this story, the, Paul. Tell yeah, that this story. is a yeah. great story, which I finally had Jim Lynch, the, uh, the number one uh, American at Toyota, confirm uh, for a story we did in the DetroitBureau.com. He uh, and his senior executives took this vehicle 18 months before launch to the dealers. The dealers sat on their hands. They were appalled. And they told the company, you can't sell that vehicle. It had to go back to the drawing board. Now, Toyota is a, ve- is a company that likes to have its vehicles done way ahead of time. They are not used to late changes, unlike the Koreans, who make changes a week before it launches. This was a major problem for them. If you look at the vehicle, you'll notice that the nose and the tail sort of don't quite come together. And that's why, because 
18 months out, they had to do a frantic redevelopment to try to make the front and rear ends work. They also did interior redesign. I've gotten conflicting reports about how much of the interior was changed, but clearly some of the interior had to be upgraded as well. And the fact is, that car, even today, as far as I'm concerned, is not up to where you would expect it to be. The days of an appliance are over. You have to really have a cutting edge styling. You have to have the technology. And Toyota is facing a need to transform the way it thinks about products. At the same time, it's dealing with a dollar yen price that even for American made cars is crippling it economically. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Your thoughts on Camry, saying? Uh, absolutely yeah. right. I, I, you know, it just, it, it, it's not a bad car. You know, mm -hmm. we talked about the number of vehicles we had to drive. And, you know, the differences among them are really very narrow. You know, there it's are... It's hard a, to buy a bad car or find is a bad indeed. car and, and, you know, the voting is, is, is a lot the same way, you know, depending on whether this judge prefers uh, one thing, another prefers another. You know, you have differences of, of opinion on that. It, there are, it's not a bad car, but I just, you know, it's, it's hard not to measure it up next to the Sonata. And, and one of the things we look at is whether or not a car is raising the bar in its segment, and the Camry didn't. Well, you know, this is interesting because this is the year that I think, to your point, there are so many good cars. The public is starting, starting to say, wait a second, we don't care about brand. Give us the best vehicle. So we're seeing Hyundai make a strong move. We're seeing some strong performance by Detroit, albeit benefiting from the production problems that the Japanese have had. Uh, the Civic's another example of a vehicle. Probably in the past, we would have still gone, wow, this is spectacular. But they've taken so many hits, even Consumer Reports, normally a very Honda-friendly uh, magazine, slammed it, slammed it twice. So I think we're seeing the Japanese suddenly this, this myth that they produce these incredible vehicles that are indestructible, offer you a lot for your money, and have great design and, and, and features. Suddenly that the public is saying, wait a second, and certainly we as jurors are saying, not so fast, you guys aren't delivering. And, and one of the things that does matter is styling. I know that some of, the, some of our fellow jurors don't consider styling or they don't think it's important or we should evaluate it. But you know what? With, with so many vehicles being so good, you look for the differentiators. Mm -hmm. And in some cases, it's the powertrain. In other cases, it's got to be the styling. The styling is the way that whole package comes together and, and, and what makes it work. And, you know, you look at, for example, the Camry and the Sonata, and you see, you see that gulf. There's a gulf there. Anybody, speaking of yeah. styling... One of the best companies in the world right now, styling-wise, is Audi. They had two cars on the list that we had to take a look at, the A6 and the mm. A7. Mm. Everyone on the jury is raving about the A7. Right. I happen to be raving about the A6. It didn't make the list, though. Ed, you've got to think that this is a pretty good car, right? Well, it, it is indeed. And, and I like the A6. And my rule of thumb is, you know, normally the car of the year should be a car for every man. You know, so a, a luxury car, a high-end car, you know, maybe not. They should be good. But, but you know what? If you squint... The, the, you know, the $42,000 price on the Audi almost <laughs> looks like every man, except for all of Paul's Occupy Wall Street friends. Yeah, they yeah. Well, afford it, but. yeah they're, they're, buying, they're buying seven series. Yeah, right. right. Uh, but Paul, you're one of the ones who's I, been absolutely raving about I the I love the A7. As I, I think I mentioned to you off camera, that was the car that I wanted to take to my high school reunion. So I, I often go by that. Yeah. What, what car would I take 
to an event to, to really impress people. To show people. off and impress everybody. And what right. car do I get out of raving? And that that's, one on both counts. Gosh, Paul, that's so unlike you. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. Yeah, uh, you know, I agree with you, Ed. To me, the, the car of the year should be something that just about anybody in the new car market could right. aspire to. But, but when something really stands out, and I think, in my opinion, the A6 does, I'm sorry it didn't make the, one of the three finalists. I, I think I certainly certainly appealing to a mass audience is important. But I think that for us to ignore as a group vehicles that really change the way the, the market performs, the way, the way uh, design is, is thought of. Uh, the Mercedes CLS was a great example of a luxury car that certainly had influence all the way from the top down to mainstream. Uh, so, you know, that vehicle to me, when it came out, was, was one I gave a lot of votes to, mm-hmm. a lot of points to. And I, I think to miss some of the luxury cars is a mistake. Yeah. And, and going to the opposite end of the spectrum, I'm in awe of the Chevrolet Sonic. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's funny because I first drove a base model with a 1.8 liter engine right. and an uh, automatic transmission. And I thought, ah, oh, this is fine. It's competitive, yada, da, whatever. Now I've been driving a 1.4 liter turbo with a manual six-speed, I'm knocked out by this car. This may be the finest small car that I've ever driven. But how do you vote for that? Because it's one model in a line, and I don't like some of the other models. But I'm telling you, this Sonic that I've been driving is is awesome. Well, the the thing about Sonic, too, is it's a very important vehicle for General Motors Mm -hmm. and for the way that it's assembled here in North America and the relationship with the UAW and making all that stuff happen. So, you know, you you, kind of like to see that happen when when something is significant to the the producer uh, and is also a good automobile. Well, the idea that they've been able to bring a car like that back to the United States for all the years that the three of us the only covering this business. The only compact car built in the United States in the United, right. Not just North America, yep. uh, which often, you know, people will, will point that out because mm-hmm. they're building something small down in Mexico. Right. But the fact that they were able to bring that car back to the U.S. is is a significant breakthrough. And to Ed's point, with, with UAW labor, you know, they're that's doing right. right. Uh, changed UAW labor, two yeah, tier, right. second tier labor, which says a lot about what the UAW has uh, uh, permitted in the last couple of years compared to the, their strident positions of the past. But the fact is, it's a good car. And, and so it's all well and good that it's made in the U.S. and there may be five people outside of Detroit who would buy it because of that. But the real thing that matters is, does it deliver? Is it a good car? And for once, I think Detroit can stand up this year and say, we've got some really hot small cars, Sonic, Fiesta, Focus. Mm-hmm. And uh, let's wait and see. We're getting some hints of what's coming in the small car range from Chrysler in just uh, yeah. just a month. Right. Even the Verano w- was surprising in, in, in many ways. As a, Buick Verano, yes, very nice Verano. small car. Yeah, yeah t- surprisingly so. Quiet and comfortable. Again, you know, same words I apply to the Sonic. If I were to look at this year's pick of vehicles and how people are voting, I think what it says far beyond the three finalists, is just how much the industry is changing. Who's delivering competitive products in what segments? Between the Koreans and Detroit, between some of the problems that the Japanese are having, uh, I think that if you look at this list, we are seeing a dramatic transformation of the auto industry at all levels, depending on not not just uh, small to medium to large, inexpensive to expensive, but even in the regions of the world where the best cars are coming out of. 
We've always said, you know, how competitive this market is. To your point, it's really cranking up. I had a hard time voting this time. Mm-hmm. You know, usually there's three or four cars that I push all my points yeah. towards. This time I had to spread them all out because yeah. there was no one car that I thought really stood above all the others. Yeah. Uh, one quick thing. We talked about DCTs, dual clutch transmissions. What about CVTs, continuously variable transmissions? And I only bring that up because I love the Scion IQ. Nice little car. I, I love the styling. I like a lot about it, but it's got a CVT, and I just don't like the way those things you know, drive. The good thing is I just was over in Japan before the Tokyo Motor Show driving the new Honda powertrains. As you know, they've been taking so many hits for a long time, and they're now saying, wait a second, we've got a whole bunch of high-tech engines and transmissions to show you. And I drove a CVT that I actually thought was pretty good. The only other CVT on the road right now that I really like, oddly enough, is in the uh, Lexus GS hybrid, which does not feel like your typical uh, CVT. It doesn't have that huge rubber right. banding problem. But I would say the, the high-end Nissans, the Murano, yeah, the, yeah, like, yeah. the CVTs in that are well done. And, with the, and, and that's a question of programming. It's just like the hybrids. You know, you can, you can teach it to be fuel efficient or you can teach it to, to be more performance oriented. Right. It's the same with the CVT. It all depends on, on the, uh, the software and what you do with it. And I think that's, that's the difference. One quick shout out because we're running out of time here. The Chrysler 300, I thought that was a, an extremely well done facelift of that mm-hmm. car. But I think it didn't get maybe the kind of points it might have because it was a facelift. It wasn't an all new design. Right. But I got to give them a lot of credit. I thought they did a lot with that car. Well, Chrysler's winning in the polls that count sales. Mm-hmm. You're looking at double digit sales increases every month, which is amazing considering there are a few really good new products and a lot of mediocre or yeah, half-hearted attempts to upgrade. So the fact that Chrysler has done well there, I think they're going to take solace in the fact they're not in the finalists. Did you drive the 300 ad? I, I did. I liked it very much. And yeah. but you know, I, again, you know, I don't don't know that it moved the bar enough in that class to to have been one of the finalists. Okay, what car is not on this finalist list that should have been on? Paul, on the spot. The A7, absolutely, was my choice. Okay, and Ed? What Audi A6. Audi A6. I'm with you. I would go with the A6 as well. Okay, on the spot. Paul, what's going to be car of the year? Wow. Uh, on the spot, answer. On the spot, probably the Passat. Okay, Passat. Passat, I'm going to agree with you guys. I don't think it should be, but I'll bet the jury goes that way. But anyway, Paul Eisenstein from the Detroit Bureau, Edward Lapham from Automotive News, great for having you guys on the set talking cars, and I want to thank all of you for having tuned in.